line and <laughs> action. Be funny. No, wait. Philippa and Jessica. Guess which one is who? Who? I'm Jessica. What's going on? We both sound very similar. We come from the same place. We definitely come. Some of us are English. 50% of us in here are English. Or 50% of both of us are English. <laughs> got a little bit English We've in you. We've got me. a little bit English in you. <laughs> We've had a lot of wine. Hi, we're going to do a podcast now. We're going to need to do an intro sometime. We're going to actually have to do like a proper one at some point. I know. And figure it out. But that is not today. <laughs> there today. will come a time when we have a professional introduction. But today is not that day. But today you're just going to have to endure us going, ah, Hello, we're not awkward at all. Everything is awkward forever. Everything <laughs> is awkward forever. Okay, so... Cannibalism. Oh my god, we're going right into it. Yeah. We're just diving in raw. This is Everything is Awful Forever. We are a comedy podcast about history and terrible things that we think are funny because they don't happen anymore. And some of it might happen a little bit. Some of it maybe. But mostly it happened so long ago that we can laugh about it now. And mostly it's like, how the fuck did we survive as a species going through all this shit? Having eaten all this shit, Having really. eaten all this shit. But it's okay, because here we are. Alive. So, cannibalism. <laughs> let's, let's fucking, let's dive right in. Let's just dive in. It's an organic topic in polite society. It's super organic. Because I don't think there's many pesticides on humans. <laughs> I guess it mostly comes up when one is discussing the savages. <laughs> like <laughs> civilised people. Not like us. I'm drinking my second glass of wine. So tell me about cannibalism. When people imagine cannibals, as you do regularly, I imagine that most people think about tribes from Papua New Guinea, Canada, Brazil. It kind of brings me, like, you know, pop culture shit like Pirates of the Caribbean, I guess, is the most recent one, even though Mm -hmm. it was fucking like 12 years ago or something. When I think of historically accurate movies, Pirates of the Caribbean (laughs) brings to mind. Absolutely. I've actually. It's a documentary, right? Basically, it's a documentary. I hate to state the obvious, but... I'm already gasping in anticipation. <laughs> it is a very taboo act in Western culture. What? No! How dare you? I've just been eating people unawares. I didn't know. Social faux pas. And cultures that do engage in cannibalism are othered and stereotyped savages. I just love that you're opening this podcast with this really PC take on, they're so misunderstood. (laughs) (laughs) But they are misunderstood. When cannibalism occurs in modern day society, it's usually like the act of a psychotic serial killer. Oh yes. (laughs) (laughs) Not not your average middle manager. (laughs) No, no, it's, it's your like Jeffrey Dahmer's and mm-hmm. wait, did he? Do, oh fuck! I can't remember he now. did. He, he was that's a cannibal. The one, isn't it? Yeah, that's the one. He he ate parts of people. We see them as less than human acts. Yeah, to mm. eat other humans. Although mm. if you if you eat other humans, are you maybe technically 
more than human. I think you're like two human. Double human. Extra human. So much human pouring out of you that it just, you know. It, it does you pour out of you. shit human. What is not very well known is that Europe and England engaged in cannibalism on a day-to-day basis <laughs> for more than three centuries. <gasps> and from the medieval period, like I'm not talking like... Uh, I'm talking Europe and England, so obviously I'm not talking 2000 BC. So from the medieval period all the way to the 1800s. I'm not <laughs> just talking about a few people here or there, like Harold in 1942 ate mm. a person. I'm talking about everybody from the king to his doctors to the aristocracy to your average Joe on the street. May I say something? You may say something. My mind is a little bit blown. Because you do just think of like Papua New Guinea and like Haiti. <laughs> not like kings and shit. The first thought that came into my head was, why didn't they fucking teach this in high school? Because <laughs> yeah, that's interesting AF. I dropped history at the age of 16. All we were doing is learning about how, how many wives Henry had. And not that he was eating people. And not that he was eating fucking human meat. There's, like, terrible consequences that happen when you eat the flesh of your own kind. I haven't researched this fully because we're not historians. Or biologists. <laughs> or anything. Or biologists. We're nothing. We're we just, like, we're just garbage. We just want to talk about funny things and hope that you'll believe us. And you should, because it's all true. Every word. Yeah, like, most creatures, if they eat their own kind, there's, like, bad things that they can't digest it all. Like, like the the mad cow disease. The cows are being fed, like, the soup of their own kind, and they've got a hideous disease from it. But, like, humans, it's so common throughout our evolution that we have evolved to be able to deal with cannibalism. Like, there's some islands where we've swam over there because we're like, I don't want to live there. There's no food or trees there. I don't want to fucking live there. And so the only protein available was other humans. And so we only had each other to eat. And so humans are kind of, like, adapted to be able to cannibalize. And it's like, how everything awful forever is that? We are the worst <laughs> creatures in existence. I love it. I dare anybody to contradict this fact. I dare defy you. Do <laughs> not true. fact check because it's all true. You don't have to fact check. Don't at me. 100%. Do not at me. <laughs> so cannibalism is a pretty massive topic. So I'm going to mostly focus on the mid-1600s. Mostly because people know less about it. That's so fucking recent as well. I know. Oh my lord. <laughs> it was in the last couple of centuries. Oh. Four centuries. I swore to John, I did not know any of this. <laughs> I thought this was like 50 million years ago. <laughs> that was going to talk about Roman time. <laughs> like before then, be- kind of before like written shit. No, no, I'm going to talk about the mid-1600s. And so unless I say otherwise, anything that I do say is going to refer to that time. Before I begin, I'm going to just say that I got most of my information from a book by Richard Sugg. It's called Mummies, Cannibals, and Vampires, The History of Corpse Medicine from the Renaissance to the Victorians. So Richard Sugg's book is a fucking amazing book, so thank you, Richard, for blowing my mind. I think it's a good idea to consider what we mean when we talk about cannibalism, because whatever Hall and Oates might say, it's a bit more complicated. <laughs> I, I chuckled my funnies. <laughs> Yeah, cannibalism certainly refers to the eating of human flesh, organs, and bones. And this, I want to say troubled me, but it didn't. What about those acts of cannibalism that we casually engage in? Can I just, can 
gonna say I was cutting an enormous joint of pork the other day because I was making pork goulash. I was cutting a huge slab of meat. I had like three different kinds of knives because I need to like cut the skin and then like cut the thing. And I was like, what the fucking human tastes like? And it just kind of like came into my mind as I was cutting this. And I was like, oh, that's dark. But I also kind of do. What does it taste like? Because like there's some jerks in your life where it'd be like, <laughs> if you were dead and out of my life, would you make a delicious goulash? I... Or maybe that's just me. We all want to eat humans. Let's just say it. Let's just go for it. <laughs> Even more than wondering what's human flavor taste like, <laughs> we oh, we do regularly eat parts of ourselves. What? I actually have like a problem. It's called. Human mutilation, which is very, very intense sounding. Basically, it just means like I pull the skin from my lips and I eat it. I can't help myself. It's a really bad thing I need to stop. And I've done like many, many things to try and stop myself from doing that. And although it's it's called human mutilation, oh my god, how terrible does that sound? It's just the flaky, shitty skin from your lips. But I can't stop pulling it. And actually, I wear lipstick because it makes me stop more than if I don't wear lipstick. And so I eat my own lip skin. As a kid, wasn't the funnest thing in the world to pick up a scab and kind of like not eat it, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit, maybe maybe a tiny little bit, maybe. (laughs) Human mutilation Mm -hmm. aside, many of us have nibbled a fingernail here. Oh yeah, absolutely. And what about semen? I mean, there you go. What about semen? (laughs) (laughs) There's always boogers. Yeah. Are most of us unsuspecting cannibals or auto cannibals? Yeah. Is everything more awful than we suspected? I think it might be. Where everything's awful, everyone's a cannibal. <gasps> T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> We've got like sixteen fucking T-shirts and two fans. They'll be well dressed. They'll look great. Demon and fingernails. Now you speak. <laughs> Is an act cannibalistic if it involves eating or drinking a product of the body <laughs> that oh. the donator can live without? Fucking babies. I knew it all along. They're terrible. We don't need them. They're garbage <laughs> and the worst. Fuck babies. Babies are cannibals. That's the t-shirt. That's the one. So mucus, saliva, blood, urine, and feces. Is it cannibalistic if you eat any of those? Philippa. Talk dirty to me. Just saying more things. For the sake of this podcast, use the definition that you find most comforting. (laughs) (laughs) Next time you suck cock, cannibal. Think about that. Mildred. (laughs) In Europe, people ate all of the above. But I'm not going to cover every single human byproduct in this episode. So, are you a cannibal if you're, like, kissing... Someone that you like. And you swallow and some saliva. And you swallow a little bit of it. Does that make you cannibal? It's gonna make you wonder late at night as mm-hmm. you're lying no, awake. I'm going to. After I have bad cheese dreams. It, it's a disturbing <laughs> thing to consider that mm. we are modern day potential cannibals. But talking about people in the 1600s. Mm-hmm. Good accent. As, Cut an, it out. as an English person. No, keep it in. What parts of the body did people eat? Oh. Flesh. Oh no. Oh yes. And it's not going to get better from here. Oh so lord. Flesh eating started with mummies. Oh, it's mummy juice. It was your mummy juice that inspired me. I was oh, like, did, did, have we eaten mummies? I ever? think it tastes like jerky. 
Mummy's yeah. like all preserved and you know like salty and shit. I think it would taste like burnt things. Like when you leave something yeah. too long in the oven and it carboni- carbonizes. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. Not good. Let's not eat them. Let's M- change our Mummies don't taste good. Don't do it. Everyone, home. don't do it. Don't eat mummies. This is one of those don't do it moments. It's a universal dough. Where we don't go back and forth and go, except do, because it sounds kind of fun. This sounds gross. Mummies sound awful. People were eating mummies that came from 2000 BC. Oh my god. You have people discovering embalmed corpses from more than 3,000 years ago, and their first thought is, let's eat it. I'm gonna fucking eat it. <laughs> it's gonna taste What is this? Nice. I'm gonna put it in my mouth. Get that Egyptian cursed shit. <laughs> when I first read, that people ate mummies. Wait, can I interrupt you? You can interrupt again, me. <laughs> as I'm going to do from now until the end of time. You've got this Egyptian tomb. You're from the 16th century. You're exhuming a body, and you're like, that was a lot of hard work. Yeah, I eat that. I need a snack. I need a smoothie snack. And you just fucking like how many bodies have we eaten that could be in a museum that we have stolen from Egypt and refused to give back and could be in our museum right now? <laughs> well, Jess, the answer is a lot, oh, a fucking lot. God. When I think about mummies, I don't think that they're in plentiful supply. Like you don't just see a mummy just anywhere. Yeah, strewn across the street, just littering the road. <laughs> like, oh, it's another fucking mummy. What the fuck? Now I know that there's a reason for that, and that reason <laughs> is that people fucking hate them. <laughs> we could have a million mummies right now. We've only got like Tutankhamun because the rest were eaten. Yeah, the, the rest were eaten. This makes me happy. In the late 1500s, there was a mummy trade going on. <laughs> Ships full of mummies. Corpses embalmed in wine and spices, oh. wrapped in gum-soaked linen bandages, hidden away in tombs for oh. thousands of years, meant of, to last forever. I kind of want to eat that, though. Sounds good. Wine and spices. <laughs> but yeah, they, they got embalmed thinking, like, this is for eternity, that's why I'm in my protected tomb. I'm gonna be oh, here forever. Oh, that's sad. I know, and they made it to the well, they made it to the 1500s. That's not bad. Just make it going. Some of those mummies were like 3,000 years old. All right, that's, so, that's long enough. Some really four you can get eaten. Four thousand years old. That, that considering privacy today, I think they've done pretty good. I'll allow it. <laughs> and that's pretty much what Europeans thought. They hadn't seen anything like mummies before. Generally, corpses don't last that long, and they're not very well preserved on the whole. So the mummies that they discovered weren't like soggy, gross bodies or bodies that crumbled like sand. These were ancient bodies whose flesh had become hard and shiny. Delicious, delicious jerky meat. And they smelled pretty good, really. (laughs) Oh my god, this is hideous. You'd like go Go on, tell me more. You go up to the body and be like. It smells like cinnamon. Oh my god, it smells like, like nice wine and spices and good shit. Mm. So in the hopes of taking on these magical properties of immortality, well, just lo- longevity, I guess, mm. and healing their wounds and illnesses, people ate them. <sighs> Terrible. I love it. <laughs> Awful. It's like, you know those things back in the day when you think like, oh, I would never do that. You know, like if you were growing up, 
in like um, slave owning times, you'd be like, oh, I would never own a slave, except you would, because that's the way you were brought up. Like, if you were raised in this way, and someone was like, here, I've got this delicious human jerky, you'd be like, num num num, please, thank you, <laughs> give me it with tea and shit. I was gonna say, fuck historical context, I need a mummy now. I, I kind of want one right now, it sounds good. <laughs> It's like wine and spices. I don't like crunchy sounding. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, this is our is this our fourth episode? And Everyone, we're talking about eating human flesh. Please still listen to us. Please <laughs> please continue. We're not terrible people. Except we eat I mean, mummies. Fine <laughs> though. I think might though too you might be getting a bit hungry also just, just reach deep down within yourself just imagine and be like would i this eat a corpse it's corpses. all right though it's it's funny because we don't have access to mummies so we're like oh, i need to except like maybe if you're don't like, we have access to mummies just don't oh, we i mean we are english we? wait 50, british museum 50 percent of us are yep let's go let's go there right now <laughs> snack run <laughs> snack <laughs> jesus so, the sad thing is, is that your lower classes couldn't possibly afford the flesh of ancient oh, pharaohs. No. <laughs> poor people. Right? Poor people suffered more than you think. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they can't eat mummies. That's no. why. So That's why they suffer. They had to acquire flesh from other more recent <laughs> sources. And, I mean, aside from the, the hefty price range, <laughs> mummies are a finite resource. When was this? The 16th century? This is the 1600s, oh, okay. oh, so right, the 17th right, century. Right. By the 17th century, there weren't many mummies left uh, <laughs> after people from the 1400s had All the had fucking their rich people were like, come have a mummy party, we'll go eat, we'll dance, we'll drink, <laughs> and we'll eat some more. It's horrifying, but, and I'm going to go back a little earlier to the the 1500s or so, mm-hmm. people used to feed the flesh of ancient pharaohs to their hawks. Oh, no. You would feed them to your hawks. Why did your hawks? Hawks get sick, too. <laughs> <laughs> you know the term fed up? I'm fed mm-hmm. up with this. Mm-hmm. It refers to hawks. No. Because if you've given them too much food, they won't do anything. And so they're fed up. They are fed up. Hawks are fed up with mummies. Yeah. They're fed up with mummies. <laughs> Literally right. sick of them. Literally. Gross. Good though, right? <laughs> Richard Suggs, who is my hero at the stage, talks about how the lower classes were starving and dying of weird diseases, and rich people were feeding pharaohs to their mummies to heal them of their tummy aches. Feeding pharaohs to their hogs. Feeding pharaohs to their mummies. Like, mama, take them. Partake of this human finger. <laughs> that too. So that too. I didn't say what I meant to say, but I also wasn't wrong. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> we'll keep that. So people needed to acquire flesh in other ways because mummy is expensive and limited. So people were seeking it out. Oh yeah. Oh people, my god. There, there were people crawling into tombs, getting mummies. <laughs> I mean, when I say entire trade networks were set up for the export and importation of mummies. But it's fucking human flesh, I mean. Get it together. <laughs> it's 17th century folk. It is mentioned on way too many trading lists. Oh my lord. <laughs> So another source of mummy was people who died in desert sandstorms. 
the desiccated corpses were not as valuable and not everyone thought they were as potent as Egyptian royalty. I guess because you're not really eating the king, you're just eating some fucker who just went into the desert and was an idiot. Egyptian mummies, and by that I mean the, the pharaohs, yeah. they, they'd survived 3,000 years, they were embalmed corpses, whereas Arabian mummies, which is what the, the desert corpses were called, mm. they were just literally some unlucky asshole who got separated from his travel group. Oh, I just, I just get sad about those things that are like ancient, and you're never going to get that back. And to know that your ancestors literally ate those things. ate them. An abundance of food all over the place. They just wanted to eat these ancient kings. They just wanted to eat it. They didn't eat them because they were tasty. (laughs) Was it like a state symbol? No, it was medicinal. Oh. Um, So they ate them to cure things. So you had your Egyptian mummies and your Arabian mummies. But there are, there's also fresh flesh, which is the most disgusting phrase I've ever said. It sounds worse than moist, doesn't it? It does. Fresh flesh. Fresh flesh. That's the worst thing. It's it's, it's got some assonance going for it. It's got some bad assonance that I hate. People had four sources for fresh flesh. Four sources of fresh flesh. (laughs) And those sources were the gallows. Good start. No. The anatomists, so people who dissected corpses, when they were done with them, they'd Mm -hmm. sell them off. Oh my god. There's always the grave and the battle. Fresh flesh. Um, The gallows interested me the most. Executioners used to sell flesh, fat, skin, bone, hair, and teeth (gasps) to apothecaries (gasps) and individual buyers. No. Until the mid-1700s. No, I don't like it. Mid-1700s. I, um, fake news. This is bad. <laughs> I dislike this. Put that in the vault forever. <laughs> Enough of flesh for now. <laughs> <laughs> the next thing that people ate a lot of was blood. So, much like flesh, blood was pretty easily gotten at an execution. People would line up to be sprayed with blood. <gasps> At an execution. Why, though? And would often run up with pots to fill with the hot Why? blood as it spurted out of the recently executed Why, corpse. Though? And sometimes they drink it on the spot. Why, there is a why. Oh, I can't get a squeak here. <laughs> blood was considered to be an important cure for epilepsy. I see. Which was so misunderstood that oh basically God, yeah. everything was a cure for epilepsy. <laughs> I didn't really talk about it in our previous episode, but there was a lot of mention of epilepsy. Basically, like apples, pears, fucking peaches were a cure for epilepsy. No one understood, so we were just like, he, he have this, it'll cure you. Every, maybe. Eat everything. Something. <laughs> Just do something and it'll cure you. And it's not something that people were like dissuaded of very quickly because people in ancient Rome were drinking the blood of dead gladiators <laughs> in the hope that it would cure their epilepsy. Oh my god. And then what, 2,000 years later? People are drinking blood from executed criminals. So blood was a staple and it was actually drunk well into the 1800s. But it wasn't without its side effects. <laughs> really? 
Drinking the blood of strong, healthy men could bring about aggression. So the blood drinker was cautioned to exercise a lot after imbibing. Oh, they could. So that they'd be too exhausted for the aggression to take effect. Wonderful. So you'd get people, like, drinking blood straight from the cup, straight from the neck of the corpse, and then going on a sprint. You need to go and sprint because it's just too much. You've got the warrior <laughs> spirit in you now. You need to go and have a run. <laughs> so blood, besides epilepsy, was considered to be a cure for asthma. Fevers, pleurisy, consumption. Wait, just drink more blood. You can't go blood. Drink more. Oh my God. Wait, we need to clarify that consumption is tuberculosis. Consumption is tuberculosis. So when you're coughing up blood, drink a little more. Just put more back in. It also cured. It also, quote unquote, cured. Cured. Hysteria, convulsions, <laughs> headaches, jaundice, and poison. You jaundice and poison. I can see jaundice. Like, you're looking a little yellow. Let's put a little more red oh, into blood. it. Yeah, like, balance it out. Like, I love the thing that no one really understood anything. So they're just like, leeches will suck it out. Blood will put it back in. And my favorite, powdered blood could be shoved up the nose to cure a nosebleed. No. Again, I can see the kind of thought process. Anything shoved up the nose can cure a nosebleed. And you didn't necessarily have to get blood from executed criminals. You could pay someone to let you drink it directly from their veins because fresher was better. Shut the front door. Stabbing a thing into someone's vein being like, yeah, you can have, you can have a little bit of my life essence. <laughs> drink of Just... it. The blood is the life. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, in Scandinavia, there was an emphasis on consent, and that people would often ask the criminal who was about to be executed to give his consent for his blood to be drinking wow. after the fact. Again, Scandinavia at the forefront of everything. They're mm-hmm. just kind of getting everything right. Even when they were drinking blood, they, they had consent in it. They had rules, <laughs> and that's to be respected. You could pay someone to let you drink it directly from their veins. And there was a bit of a trend of that for a while, especially in France. Old people would latch onto young people like leeches, sucking their blood to get their vitality. I mean, I do feel like that now as a ancient 30-year-old lady. Old mm. age. Need to find a young person. Shit. Just drink their blood. And a good example of this regards the death of Pope Innocent VIII. Good name for a bloodsucker. He fell fatally ill in 1492, and his doctor procured three ten-year-old boys. He promised them that he would pay them, Mm. I think it was a drachma, in exchange for some of their blood. Oh, dear. He bled them dry. They died. And Pope Innocent (laughs) drank all their blood Ah. and still died. Okay, good. (laughs) Oh, I'm glad it wasn't in fucking vain. (laughs) I see what you did there. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm hilarious. Good, I didn't even know it. <laughs> so, to be fair, the story may just be a rumor, but let's say that the story is not unbelievable, given <laughs> beliefs about blood and Innocent the Eighth's cruel behavior prior to his rampant blood drinking of ten-year-old boys. I want to change my name to Innocent the Bestimus Maxitron. Also very popular was the human skull. Again, I I kind of want to have a human skull. You know, I was surprised that I couldn't buy one on Etsy, and then yeah, when I thought I about it, I was like, Oh, wait, no, uh, that, yeah, that's I, right. I can that's see why that would be illegal. Right. They also liked the moss that would grow on skulls. Oh, my, what? <laughs> okay, so I will explain the skull eating. Please do. Throughout history, even now, when you consider homeopathy, there's this belief that like cures like. And sometimes that has a bit of merit, 
So snake venom is used in the curing of snake bites. Sometimes that belief is a little bit looser. Uh-huh. Like this plant that looks like an erect penis will for sure cure my erectile dysfunction. <laughs> That's a belief too. What is that? <laughs> Don't know. Oh, well, not. Oh, no. <laughs> now we need to know. We'll edit that in. It's a carrot. <laughs> it's a cucumber. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of what we've got going on here. So, like, you've got a headache, take some powdered human skull in alcohol, it'll fix oh, you right up. Okay. And the moss found growing on skulls called usnea was also very popular. For both the skull and the usnea, the skull moss, the popular belief was that they should be gotten from someone who had died a violent death. So not just any skull, oh, okay. not just any skull moss. Violent death, skull, Good. skull moss. Good. I, I don't want them to have fallen asleep nice with a full tummy and like surrounded by cushions. Or violent death. A violent death is what I want from my skull moss. I'm not sure I exactly found the reason why. <laughs> I think it was because, like, if somebody died a violent death, they died before their time. Yeah. So there was all of this potential and power in the skull and, and the moss. There is actually some religious beliefs, of which I don't remember what religion it actually belongs to. But, you know, like, the seven circles of hell kind of thing. Mm -hmm. There is, like, a stages of death where if you're killed in battle, that's more noble. Whereas, like, if you're a bad person, we die of old age, that's bad. And so depending on how you died is where you go to in hell. The ancient Greeks had that belief as well. Like, mm. death in battle was seen as being more glorious. Yeah. One German professor, Rudolf Gerplenius, believed that the most effective victims were those who had died by hanging, as this forced the vital spirits up into the skull, oh. where they'd be trapped. Others, like Van Helmont, <laughs> I wanted to say Van Helsing so bad, <laughs> thought that someone broken on the wheel would be equally dandy. Oh. Dandy. Dandy. <laughs> dandy. and dandy. Splendid. Van Helmont does us the invaluable service of further explaining just why the skull is so good. It's essentially like a good cheese or fine wine because the skull kind of holds the brains in it. It's essentially like soaking in that awesome brain juice, making it more effective than just regular bone. So, can you please say all of that again? Oh my god, soaking in the awesome brain juice. The last substance I'm going to talk about is milk. I've mentioned everything that, like, today we consider icky and not for eating, like skulls. Mm. But human milk is worth mentioning. Back in the day, it was actually considered to be a variant of blood. They, they didn't see milk as, oh. like, a separate substance. Oh. They kind of thought of it as blanched blood. Gross. Very gross. <laughs> Incredibly gross. So Pope Innocent VIII... <laughs> Our blood-drinking okay. pal. Um, I talked about how he allegedly drained three young boys of their allegedly, blood. Allegedly, we don't want to get sued because of this. By the estate of Pope Innocent. <laughs> Prior to this, when he got sick, they didn't start him off on blood straight away. Red blood. Before that, they had him drinking, quote-unquote, blood of a paler hue. Oh, no. no. He just latched on right there. Bad. Again, it didn't really do much for him in the long run. Oh, really? I mean, I guess. Oh, it didn't? More calcium? I suppose. The calcium don't cure everything. I mean, it really doesn't. Human breast milk, mm. which is just meant to grow a baby human. 
not really meant to fix everything else. It's just meant to, like, fatten up and grow a baby human. Not cure cancer. Just get a baby human fat. On that note, households used to keep a wet nurse on hand in the noble aristocratic houses. For reasons I don't know, but I have read, aristocratic women couldn't produce their own breast milk, which is why they kept wet nurses to nurse their children and give them blood. Blood! Blood! White blood. Give them white blood. I'm just going to give it to them. (laughs) (laughs) I meant give them milk. But it wasn't just for the babies that they kept wet nurses on hand, it would also be to provide breast milk. For aristocratic women to put on their skin, to keep them young looking. Just that vitality idea. They just Mm. kept that on hand. (laughs) Just kind of. I know, like, later on as well, like, when wet nurses were becoming less popular, you'd have a nanny goat. And that's where that Mm. term came from. And, like, goats loved it because, like, an animal that needs milking becomes painful for them if they don't get it. So Mm -hmm. they would, like, like, run up to babies and, like, like, pose over them to be like, drink from me, because they would like, <laughs> like want to be milked, and so like that's where like the nanny goat term comes from, because they would actually have goats to give goats milk to the babies. Yeah. Goats First. are good forever. One would expect the popularity of corpse medicine and medicinal cannibalism <laughs> to die down as the centuries go on, uh-huh. but it actually continued to grow in Europe and England. Oh, did it? Yeah, in the mid 1600s, there was more of that going on than in the 1400s. And what's great is that this was a time in, like, that many historians refer to as the time in which modern science was born. Oh, so the time in which the eating of fresh corpses reached its peak. Good. (laughs) And you know what else grew in the 1600s? Not a well-developed sense of irony. No, because witch hunting was quite a popular hobby in the 1600s. That's when you really had all the witch hunts going on in Europe. So people were drinking blood and numbing on human flesh and bones, but totally thought that the woman who scowled at your sheep in the wrong way might be a witch and should be hanged. I don't think people were checking themselves. I, I I think they were wrecking themselves before they were checking themselves. And basically, they were, like, high on blood and everything else. <laughs> and anything a woman did, they were like, mm, nah, I don't like the way she does that. Witch. Hang her. Hang her. Throw her in the lake. <laughs> Van Helmont, I mentioned he was the guy who thought that bodies broken on the wheel were better. He lived around this time, the 1600s, and he mentions in admiration a nobleman whose faith in skull moss was so strong that he had it sewn inside his skin. But yeah, that's cute witches. That can totally be a thing. Wait, he had skull moss sewn inside of his skin. So like he cut his skin, like on his head. On his head. And had the moss sewn between his skull and the outside of his skin. Again, this is the specific moss that grows on human skulls. It is. And Van Helmont is like, and it did him well. Okay. Because later when somebody brought the sword to his head, he survived. There were a lot of notable doctors and scholars who were into the medicinal uses of human corpses. No. But, yes. I don't like this. <laughs> Unfact this in my mind. I'm only going to look at one of them, which is our homeboy, Christopher Irvin. Great. <laughs> Love that guy. He was born in Scotland. Oh. Which is where we live. Live and shit. And he studied in Edinburgh. Oh my god, that's where we live! That's where we currently 
Montréal. He was actually the first medically qualified member of the Incorporation of Surgeons and Barbers oh. of Edinburgh. <laughs> They've got things in common. We'll cut your bones off and your, your hair and your beard. <laughs> and he was historiographer to three kings. Charles II, James II, and James VII. To his credit as a physician, he lived a good long life. He only died in 1693 at the age of 73. What makes him interesting, though, is his belief that fresher was better. So if you're going to use or consume human parts or byproducts, get it from a living body. I don't like that. He liked that. No. To be fair, Ivan, for the use of blood to flesh, and presumably didn't intend that people kill the people from whom the blood was taken. And what inspired him was magnets. Uh, yeah. That, that just came out of nowhere. I mean, magnets. Magnets inspire me to do that also. Evan was like, wait, wait a fucking minute. Magnets draw things to themselves <laughs> and they push things away from themselves Human flesh and blood is like a magnet. Oh my god! It does the same thing. I see it now. It makes total sense, except it doesn't fucking make any sense at all. <laughs> what the hell was he talking about? So he says, and I quote, Take the blood of a sound young man, drawn in the spring, as much as thou canst get, <laughs> then mix it with a great quantity of man's dung, <laughs> with wine and human sweat. Oh my god! That rhymed! <laughs> That should make a paste. That paste you kind of put on your wound or self to draw the, the injury or the illness out of you. It's like a magnet. Uh, oh, exactly like a magnet. Just like it's a magnet. precisely like a magnet. So you take shit and sweat and blood and, and fucking puke and semen and tears or whatever else, I guess, and make it into a paste and you put it on yourself and you're like, oh, I didn't get gangrene. Oh, good. It's like magnets. <laughs> That's how magnets work. The science checks out, yes. It does. You're right. <laughs> Moving on. And for everybody interested in a little DIY, he also... <laughs> He also came up with this thing that he called the lamp of life. Oh, I don't like it already. What's going to happen? It was a lamp filled with human blood. No. <laughs> Why? And by looking at the state of the blood in the lamp, you could recognize the healthiness of the person whose blood was used to fill the lamp. Well, that, when, I, when you said your episode was going to be a cannibalism, I was like, oh, it's going to be like a cute fun-filled rock. And it turns out it's not that. It's awful forever. I, I included home improvement, Jess. <laughs> no, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm going to quote Irvin. This lamp burneth so long as he liveth, of whose blood it is made, and expireth with him. If it burn clearly and quietly, it showeth his condition to be such. If sparkling, dim, and cloudy, it showeth his griefs and languishings. And Urban was a pioneer. There's so much to say about cannibalism in Europe that I haven't even begun to scratch the surface. Oh, Lord. And what is interesting, and I don't have time to cover it now, is the interaction between Europe and cannibal tribes in the New World. For example, there are myths of fat-stealing vampires in Bolivia and Peru. But what's interesting is that this myth was inspired by the Spanish colonizers who profited off of the bodies of the Indians. 
Despite a solid history of cannibalism in Western civilization, it's often used as a political tool against marginalized societies. Oh, it's easy to go, oh, most people eat people, we need to go move in and civilize them or wipe them out. <laughs> well, let's ignore the fact that we've been eating people for centuries. When we eat it, it's cute. When they do it, it's kind of gross. So exactly. we need to kill them all. But this is maybe best left to another episode. So I guess to our listeners, like, what do you guys think? Would you be interested in an episode exploring the awfulness of colonial cannibalism? Yes. I'm just going to say in, like, I am the voice of the people at the moment. And yes, I want to hear more about cannibalism. We want to hear everything. We want all of it. We want recipes. <laughs> Cortez was said to have caught the boats of his army with the fat of the Indians. Oh, fucking God. Because he didn't have tallow. Well, so... Uh, colonial monsters, like, that is an episode I'd love to do. I think we should. Let us know what you think. We're definitely going to do more. Um, we don't care what you think. We're we don't do care what you think. We're going to do it. You'll be like, no, no, please don't. We're like, no, no more. we're doing it. Goodbye. <laughs> so, I guess we finish off on a happy thing. Yeah, so what's a good thing for you? Not eating bodies. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh! I I have a happy thing. Yeah. I bought a new book. It's called Satanic Feminism. Oh my god! And it's going to be the topic of an episode. I can tell. That sounds great. Already. It's about how um women, especially in the Vic- women, 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 you dirty <laughs> filthy foreigner. It's about how women, especially in the Victorian period, utilize the myth of Satan as oh. kind of like a, an empowerment symbol. That's so I am so keen to start reading it. That's good. What's a happy thing for you, Jess? Um, I made a new internet friend. That's good because when you live on the internet as I do and you have OCs, a.k.a. original characters, and then people want to, like, sincerely know more about them. And so, like, he lives in America. So when I wake up, he's, like, asking more questions about my character. And this makes me feel great. Because it's like, oh, my God, <laughs> you actually want to know about this thing. And then we've been doing, like, art trades with each other. So I will draw his character. And then he draws mine. And it's just great. And it just <laughs> makes me feel good. Because I love his character. He loves mine. My fantasy world in my head is so much richer than my actual life. <laughs> I'm just thinking, I wish I could draw. Yeah, it's always really good. And so, like, I woke up this morning, he drew me a really gorgeous, fantastic picture. It's just like, yay! Oh, yay! I'll draw something for you as well. Thank you, Jess. That's very good. Yeah, thank you, my friend. Um, (laughs) He'll know who he is. (laughs) You all know who you are. Yeah. So that was us for this podcast, but if you miss us in the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. On Twitter, we're called Awful Forever Pod, and on Instagram, we're called Awful Forever Podcast. Not too difficult. Not too hard. (laughs) Don't worry. Come and chat with us about awful things. Let us know what you think about the podcast. And until next time, it's all going to be okay. Except no, it's not. Except it is. No, it isn't, but it's not. It's not okay. No, it's not okay. Bye.